Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Dana Heller. Hear how one visit to a doctor changed her life forever. With great honesty and humility, she recounts the daily challenges of living with a chronic illness, which her steady spirit refuses to allow to define or limit her in any way. Please welcome Dana Heller. Welcome, Dana. The one question I ask to sort of get our conversation started is, was there an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have changed or reshaped the direction of your own life? Yeah, definitely. For me, in 2017, I had done an MRI on my neck because I thought that like I had a pinched nerve and I didn't, but then they found a brain tumor. It was interesting because when I think back on that, I remember, I feel like as humans, we can be so resilient and maybe partially just ways to like cope and protect ourselves. And so mm-hmm. I went through it like, okay, I got this. We're going to the neurosurgeon just by myself. And I <laughs> think about that now. I can't believe I went by myself. Did you have surgery to have the brain tumor removed? Yeah. So originally when I saw the doctor, he thought it was menginoma, which is a brain tumor that usually it can be cancerous. So that's what he thought it was. It was large and he was concerned with the vision aspect of it, losing potential vision. We didn't know what it was, so we had to go in. And then when he went in, he found out that it was a pituitary tumor. Those usually are not cancerous. So that was great news. And he got most of it out. You know, I didn't know much about the pituitary gland. I mean, I knew some about it, but nowadays they go through the nose. Well, first of all, I want to go back to that moment when you got the news that you had a brain tumor. Did you have moments of, I mean, obviously being afraid, but also being incredibly sad or frustrated or angry? I really didn't experience any kind of grief and sadness till after maybe about a year after the first surgery, we're going to take it out and then I'm just going to move on with my life. That's what I thought when I talked about kind of like that coping, I definitely think there was a part of me that was like, I'm not going to feel this really mm-hmm. until later on because the first surgery wasn't the end, <laughs> which I thought uh, it would be. <laughs> can you kind of give us a history of what else you had to undergo and what all of that kind of looked like? Yeah. So then after they went in and it was like a seven hour surgery and they got most of it, he was like, we're going to put you on this medication because it was a prolactinoma, even though mine was an abnormal one because I didn't really have any hormonal issues. Usually people have pituitary tumor. I mean, not usually, but they can have headaches or hormonal issues. And that's initially kind of their reasoning for going to a doctor and finding out that they have something going on. For me, I didn't have any of those things, but it did stain for prolactin, which is a hormone. So I went on a medication that addresses a specific type of tumor to stop 
the remaining amount from growing. And mm-hmm. so they were super positive about it. And I was on that for probably about a year after that first surgery. And then it showed growth again. Initially, they were like, oh, you're just going to do one surgery and we'll be on this medication and we won't do any more surgeries or anything down the road. But that changed. So then it was another surgery and then the choice to either do radiation or chemo. And so I decided just because radiation was like 95% chance of it it working, whereas chemo was like 50%. So with the radiation though, I mean, technology and everything now is so much different than it used to be and they can be so precise with it. But that doesn't mean that there still might be a potential effect down the road. And the risk with radiation is the potential of the gland to partially stop working or completely stop working down the road. And with the radiation, it was like 20 days straight, Monday through Friday, I would go and it was laying in this bed for maybe like four minutes, but the radiation itself was maybe like a minute and a half. You know, I think when I found out that I had to have the second surgery, that was when it kind of hit me. The doors came open and I was like, all (laughs) the feelings that I didn't feel in the beginning of it all came out. And And even if I say it out loud, I feel emotional about it because I'm just the kind of person that's like, okay, let's go. I got this. Let's move forward. I have stuff, but everyone has stuff kind of downplaying my experiences and obstacles that I've had to face. So just so, to give the audience yeah. a context, so how old were you when this happened? 33. Wow. So you're really young. Yeah. Luckily I had, and the thing with pituitary gland is potential or not potential. It's also connected to fertility. Luckily I was working at a company that was supportive with the whole freezing the eggs thing. So I was able to do that because especially with having gone through radiation, there's a higher risk of that not working in that regard. One thing that is not working is my growth hormone. So that's been a frustrating journey. And now I take daily injections for growth hormone just because the gland doesn't seem to be really producing that anymore. Why is the growth hormone necessary if you're a fully realized adult? So the growth hormone is potential for like metabolism, our body Uh, temperature, our mood. It can cause anxiety or depression, depending on what levels you have. As we get older, it does decrease. Like that's natural for us. But mine was right around before I started radiation. It was like in the 200s. And then now it's down to like 40 or something. So it can impact your emotional state and you can feel like weak and fatigue and have headaches. And things like that. So can we go back to that moment when you said a year later, it finally hit you and it was like all of the emotions came through. So what was that like? And can you recall the exact moment or the period in time when you finally allowed yourself to feel all of the emotions from this incredibly stressful, traumatic event? I would say for me, at least the moment that I remember is I already knew that I would be getting surgery again, and that I was going to be going with radiation. And i had already seen the doctors and they were like, we'll just see you in three months. We'll do another brain MRI and then we'll confirm surgery date and all that. And I remember going this time (laughs) I was with my mom and my dad. (laughs) So I remember after my parents were always like, well, my mom is, I don't know if you should do radiation. And and that's one of the reasons why I don't want to have an opinion. 
So I remember after leaving that appointment, I was exiting the elevator with my dad and I just started crying, just like sad and upset and frustrated for everything that had happened prior and having this expectation that going to that first appointment while my own, I mean, even now I know we're not on, I am getting emotional because it has been a frustrating journey. And even though everyone does have their own obstacles and stuff, it doesn't mean that my journey is that I need to not feel it or support myself if I have grief around it. Because I do still have moments now with the growth hormone and just the reality that this is a lifelong thing for me. I'll be checking with my endocrinologist every three months and doing brain MRIs twice a year. And that's just what the journey is. I think trying to find acceptance and surrender on that some days are easier than others. I also have a chronic illness of depression and anxiety and was hospitalized for it. So I'm fully aware of that sense of defeatism and Mm -hmm. anger and frustration that you can't beat it. I would assume for you as well that coping with something that is so chronic has taught you a lot about your own self-care, but also the ability to be incredibly empathetic to other people in a way that was probably beyond your natural empathy. Yeah, definitely. We all have some sort of empathy towards others and ourselves that I definitely feel like I have that even more so now. You never know what is going on with somebody because I have had anxiety and depression as well. And so someone might say, oh, you look on the outside, everything's fine, right? But on the inside, other things are going on. And I think with anxiety and depression, there's that. And then also with having the pituitary tumor, you know, people are like, oh, you look great. Everything's good, you know, but I don't, (laughs) I don't feel great. So it's hard. So what are the day-to-day things that you do to cope, but also maybe to find a little bit of a silver lining through all of this? I've always been just since I was little, like into sports and staying active. So these days, I like to do a lot of yoga and meditating. That's been really helpful. When I was talking about the kind of anxiety and depression, I feel like I've always had some level of that. And recently, I ebbs and flows of my daily practice, for sure. (laughs) But I like to tell people, like, even if it's just like two minutes, one minute, it doesn't have to be like 20 minutes. And that's been helping me a lot. And I have a journal practice that I like to do. And especially when things are more challenging for me, there's definitely something really powerful in writing out things that are going on. I have a tendency to isolate and not talk about feelings. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that for me, when I was hospitalized, I felt like such a failure that I couldn't rise above it. And then more importantly, I felt this incredible sense of betrayal by my own body and mind. Have you ever experienced that with your chronic illness and all of the stuff that you've gone through with the brain tumor? I have definitely felt sometimes like a victim in a way, like why me? Why is this happening? I tap into sadness more than I tap into anger, although I know it's all related. And so trying to channel more of the angry part, because I think separating the victim part of it, have anger, like that this is the journey that I've been dealt. But then on the flip side, trying to use it to help others and believing that things do happen for a reason, even no matter how hard as they can be. Because I hate that happen for a reason, you know, taking what you can, of course, from it in a positive way or whatever you've learned and realizing like, okay, I've been through this journey to hopefully 
be able to help somebody else that maybe is in the beginning stages of whatever's going on. Then how has it affected your relationships with family and friends? When I think about it, I think (laughs) my mom comes to mind just because I know she is always concerned and she sees that I don't feel well and she wants to be involved a lot. And so it's sometimes hard because it can be triggering for me, I guess. But when I think about my mom, I know she loves me dearly, but I think just setting boundaries. And I think even with my dad too, when I talked about going to the appointment alone, and then my dad came a lot after those first few. And then there was a few times where I just really wanted to go on my own just because I felt like, oh, they're going to stress me out or bring me anxiety. And I don't want to have to add any more of that. I'd had a friend that said, they're your parents and they want to be there for you and they're here and they're alive and take that opportunity to have them support you. And, you know, and I did, and I was so glad that I had listened to that advice. Can you tell us what you do career-wise? How was it navigating all of your health issues? And even today, while you're also dealing with your own career? For the last seven years, I've been in television entertainment and project management and so very stressful job. (laughs) My boss at the time was super supportive and so so grateful for all of that because I had to take time off and I really do believe in things aligning and I couldn't have had a better job and a better place to be that would support me through that journey. I had been looking for something else for a while, even through the surgeries and things like that. I felt stuck really. I wasn't feeling fulfilled, but I also kept on having the health thing. So I didn't move around and um, working from home during everything that's happened in the last year and a half. And then in March got laid off. And then after that happened, even though I wasn't entirely happy at all times, I really loved the people and I felt super sad. And also it happened all virtually. <laughs> so right. that like, so I had a couple months of processing all of that. And then now getting out of that, feeling much better and realizing I've always wanted to give back and help people, whether or not that's necessarily like your main source of income or not. I was always, no, I can't do that because I've been in project management forever and this is safe. This is what society tells me I need to do. So I'm going to just stick with what I know. I'm in a perfect space to kind of go on that journey of doing holistic coaching, exploring that avenue. So I'm grateful that, you know, everything that's transpired the way that it is and to be able to finally get out of my own way and not letting the fear take over. Life is too short to just be average and not happy. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to, especially in the last year and a half, have like reassessed what they want. This period has really done that for a lot of people. So going back to your illness, well, chronic illness, I had another guest who went through breast cancer And she said something so beautiful. She said that she sees life now in Kodachrome. And I was like, what does that mean? And what she was describing was this ability to see life in its beauty in that moment, not always wishing for something tomorrow or something that might've happened in the past. Do you find that your perspective about life and the ability for us to see that the pain and the joy has shifted since all of this? I definitely have more gratitude for the days when I feel really good before you just go on and 
day by day and you're not realizing like to manage your hormones and manage things that you're not used to doing. And I have a really good day. I feel so much joy and happiness and really hope if I can start kind of banking more of those days, then I have hope that I can finally start to feel more like myself. Because when I think about it, I realize I really haven't been feeling that great. You know, we're all trying to push myself on the days that don't feel great. And then I have a great day and I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like. I would say my mind likes to live in the past or in the future. So meditation (laughs) uh, helps me really to stay in the present day and then reminds me, okay, here you are. This is what you're doing. And especially when my head goes down the rabbit hole of like trying to manage my own health and be my own health advocate and talk to different doctors can be frustrating. So I just try not to get fearful and project of like, this is what's going to happen, you know, which I'm sure we all, all minds kind of are the same, right? It's hard to be in the present moment. When you're coping with something so serious, that's constantly challenging day to day. Can you tell us a little bit about days that you don't feel well? What does that feel like for you? Just so the audience has a sense. I would say definitely a lot of fatigue. Sometimes it's nausea and headaches, uh, not necessarily nausea and headaches all day. But recently, the fatigue has been something where it's hard to get out of bed. And then I'll do that. I'll get out of bed. And then usually I'll need a nap in the afternoon. And that might not sound like, oh, sure. Okay, that's fine. Because that's like what my mind's telling me right now. But I'm like not a napper. For me, knowing my body, the fact that I'm so tired that I need to take a nap just showcases why something's going on. Mm -hmm. And then with that growth hormone being responsible for mood, since I do like to be active and doing things when I can't do that, that will make me feel down. And then with the growth hormone being just adds to feeling depressed. You know, sometimes I've been this person of like, okay, you got your to-do list and then you feel good. Like you've been productive. You checked all those things off. So it's like finding that balance of those days when I don't feel good to be like, it's okay. You don't have to do all these things or you can just rest and do what you need to do to feel better. Uh, do you ever feel guilty about doing that? Take care of yourself. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, but I should be doing so many other things. I definitely feel the guilt for sure. My boyfriend, he's type one diabetic. So it's been helpful because he has his own journey with health stuff and he's very supportive when I don't feel well, you know, cause a lot of people don't really know how you're feeling. And so it's nice to have him be there, but it's also frustrating for me because when people ask like, oh, what's going on? Or, and if I articulate it, but on paper, it might be like, okay, well, that sounds like not that bad. But when you're feeling it, it's different. When you have all those things and you're used to functioning at a higher level on a daily basis and then not being able to can bring up all that other stuff too. Like I will definitely, not always, but you know, can have moments of where I'm really sad and then I cry about it. Have they ever been able to figure out how or why you ended up with this brain tumor? No, I have no history. There's no like, no one's had it in the past in my family and they just have no idea. It was very random. And I went because my right arm was bothering me at work and I was pretty sure that it was just how the desk was set up and all that. And so I had gone to see a few doctors and one doctor had thought it was a pinched nerve in the cervical spine. So that's why they said the MRI. Okay, well, that's great that they found it because you weren't having any symptoms and how long it's been there and if it was continuing to grow and then if it was to impact the optic nerve. 
and there's not ever a guarantee if you were to start to lose vision that removing it, you would regain that vision. Sometimes on maybe only 20% of me is like, could have just been in there forever. And maybe I would have never known about it. <laughs> yeah, that's like a fatalistic way of being, right? I know you just kind of said something that I'm sure springs from so much of your experience in these last few years, but you talked about now that you have this time to kind of reassess and perhaps reimagine your future, that it would have something to do with helping others. So beyond the health coaching, do you see anything more specific? I had done some yoga training and then urban Zen integrative therapy, which is like the use of Reiki and body scans and aromatherapy and things like that, you know, mind, body, soul, all those three elements and really wanting to help people with all those areas. So I think sometimes you can be like, okay, work out and eat right. And then it's like, well, what about the mind calming that down or whatever that looks like to somebody? And I think as I go on, and probably all of us, as we go on our own journeys to be our best selves and you know, wherever our path leads us, we're always recalibrating and balancing those three areas. I still have, whether it's delusional or not, yeah. <laughs> have, have visions of myself being able to get off of my antidepressants and in my mind, live quote unquote, normal life. Do you ever have those thoughts for yourself as well? I do. I Definitely. And I go back to it again, like when I am hopeful for it, but I also am realistic that those are just things that may be in my life forever. And I, I do kind of think everyone probably experiences them to some degree, but obviously some more than others. More importantly, I know that because of your growth hormone and the effect on the mood. So I'm yeah. assuming that a lot of what you experience is really, in a sense, has to do with sort of the depression and all of that, right? As opposed to just yeah. pure physical people with fibromyalgia, even though this is controversial with some doctors, they feel pain in the body. And I guess your situation is something that's a little bit more difficult to pinpoint from that standpoint. I definitely had depression before, but then like you're saying for the growth hormone, it's like that literally affects your mood and what's going on there. Cause like, it's been weird. I've been on this, the growth hormone injections for four months now, but my growth hormone level has gotten worse. So like that's confusing as I've increased the dose, hopefully that will work. And then ideally the mood will change too. Right. But then even too, like we've talked about like having chronic illness that whether or not like you're prone to depression or not, like it's a constant struggle. I feel like for me, this journey has taken a long time where view it now with a certain clarity that it is a chronic illness that it's something I have to learn to manage and the acceptance that this may be for the rest of my life <laughs> has gotten yeah, better, yeah. <laughs> right? And believe me, sometimes I fight against it, but it's gotten better. I don't know about you, but my ability to talk about it in a more open, kind of honest way has grown the more distance I have with that time when I was in the hospital. Do you find that's the same thing for you now? having this conversation with you feels so like helpful and healing because before, you know, I don't really, I like to say I'm fine. I'm okay. So talking about it out loud is so helpful. And I definitely 
I've gotten better at talking about it and sharing my feelings. Do I do that a lot? No, it's gotten better. <laughs> it's definitely gotten better. Like you said, from the time you were in the hospital to where you're at today, it continues to to get better. And I do try to talk about it. And I had a girl recently reach out from like the UK who was just diagnosed with a pituitary tumor. And so I uh, have to do radiation and stuff like that. So it's nice to be able to talk with other people about it and share my journey and help them if they're maybe in the beginning stages of the diagnosis. First of all, I think you have an incredible attitude about all of this. I know how challenging it is when you're faced with something that you realize is probably for the rest of your life. You can't fix it. I can't eat better. I can't exercise more. I can't sleep more to make it better. It just is. You sound a lot healthier. I feel like you're still kind of in the earlier stages with it than when I came out of the hospital, which was in 2012. So it's taken me a long time. So I give you a lot of kudos for how resilient you sound now and how pragmatic you sound about the fact that you have this chronic illness and you're just figuring out ways to manage it and not let it dictate your whole life. Thank you. I will try to receive that. (laughs) (laughs) People tell me I'm strong and I'm like, Oh, thanks. It's not about strength. It's not a question of strength because no doubt you're strong. It's more to have that ability to accept and to look at it squarely in the eye and say to yourself, all right, so this is something I'm going to have to contend with for the rest of my life, right? And it's my choice of how I'm going to let it either control me or not. Meaning if I face it head on and deal with it as managing any other chronic illness. And I always like to remind people, everybody has something, right? To varying degrees of severity. So I feel like there's something beyond strength to be able to face that and face it in a way where you then just start to live your life, managing this part of your life and not letting it become the whole of your life. So I don't know what that word is. I'm at a loss, but it's Mm. not strength. I think it's more, it's far more encompassing than strength. It's like Mm. your ability to accept things, but still having the fighting spirit, not being in denial, but at the same time wanting to fight, but also realizing that the fight doesn't have to be against yourself. That's futile in and of itself. It's just the fight that you're willing to get up every day and try to make the most of each day and make each day where you cope with the illness to the best of your ability. Definitely. You said that so beautifully. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I've had a a lot more time to sit with it than you've had. (laughs) You You may be able to articulate it much better than me in about 10 years. So we're getting to the end. I always ask one last question. If you could name one song that either resonates with you or somehow feels like is the telling of your own life, what would that song be? That's so funny. I would probably say, don't worry, be happy. Okay. I've always been, you know, how I was raised and parents being divorced and other things. I just always was kind of worrying and I realized that that is just really a waste of time and life is too short and I just want to be happy. Worrying does nothing. 
for me. You know, whatever has happened in the past has happened and worrying about the past or worrying about the future and then you're not in the present. Yeah, I just want to be happy. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, I've wasted my time being in the past or the future because, you know, <laughs> not being here, not accepting like what is. But I feel like I have, my mind has done a lot of that and I just don't want to be in that space anymore. That's beautiful. Can you tell the audience how they can reach you if they do have questions for you or if they just wanted to reach out? My website is just my first and last name. So it's Dana Heller, D-A-N-A-H-E-L-L-E-R and then .com. And then on Instagram, it's Dana Heller as well. My full name. Great. I'm sure people will reach out to you. Thank you, Dana, for doing this. I am so glad we were finally able to talk. I know. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.